Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you are at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, you're at the pinnacle of your career, you're winding down into retirement, or you're thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have me, Christopher A. Paniotu, the cap and capitalize in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for your personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in all aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are capitalizers and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniotu, the cap in Capitalize. And today we have a very successful and rather unique guest outside of the world of finance, the legendary comedian, Mr. Fahim Anwar. Fahim, welcome to the show. Oh, man. Thank you. I got to have you like MC my shows. This is like one of the best intros. I don't get intros like this even at my stand-up shows. I got to Well, I will t- I will tell you now that we have a daughter on the way, um, you know, any dollars that we can make do do go towards her. So, <laughs> we will start billing separately for that uh, if you need it. But in all seriousness, okay, man, all right. like you've absolutely crushed it. We've we've been waiting for you for a while. It's going to be a really exciting episode because how many people can can look someone in the eye like you did when we first met at the Kraken game uh-huh. and say I'm yeah. a comedian? You know? Yeah, it's a bizarre. It's like saying you're an astronaut or something. Uh, like you almost feel foolish saying it. Like that is how I generate my income, and that is the profession I'm in, the occupation. But it's like saying I'm a clown or something. But I'm I'm making a viable living. Yeah, being a clown. Oh yeah. Well, it's a highbrow clown. I'm a sophisticated clown. You are. Yeah, sophisticated clown. Um. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That you should use that for marketing. Well, and it and just background for for the capitalizers that are listening in, it was kind of interesting because, you know, Fahim, and, and, and I'll have him uh, talk a little bit more about his, his background, but we actually met at a Kraken game through uh, his brother and, and, and my CPA, who's, who's one of my best friends, and I had no idea who this guy was. 
And now that I've started to, to get to know, obviously, your brother and, and we've gotten to know each other a little bit, it is so cool to not only know you, but then to um, kind of see your your career just, just skyrocketing from, from where you've started. I mean, it, it's it's a journey, man. It is a freaking <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's the thing that's hard for people to understand. Like, they just hear you're a comedian or something, and they don't know the trajectory to that. But it is such a slog, and there's a process, and you d- you don't wake up and, and you're that. It's like a journey like anything else, you know? Oh. Like, a doctor doesn't just wake up a doctor. There's steps involved. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and before we talk about that, kind of dive it in, um, I, I wanted you to give our listeners a little bit of a of background personally, um regarding you and your, your family and in Seattle and, and how you guys made it. Um, because, you know, being from Afghanistan, it, it's a, it's a pretty unique story and I don't think a ton of people can relate to it. So give us some background on you and your family. Yeah. So my parents are from Afghanistan and I always think like, you know, I'm doing stand up comedy and stuff right now. And I obviously that would not be happening if I, we're still in Afghanistan. Like, I wasn't born there, but I think sometimes you think about, like, oh, what your life would be like if your parents didn't come over. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have... There's no, like, rich stand-up culture in, in like, Afghanistan. <laughs> um, so my dad, he came over to America for college, like, when he was around 18. Um, so I think he got a mathematics degree at first. And then he went back to Afghanistan for a few years. And then he came back to America to get an engineering degree. So, so yeah, that was like his brush with America. And then he, when he was over here, um, there was like the invasion going on. He wanted to stay here. And then he got a job. He actually, my mom was still in Afghanistan and they knew each other a little bit growing up. And I think he proposed like, hey, do you want to get married and come out here? So they were living in, in it's either North Dakota or, uh, or Minnesota. I forget the order of them. But like, you know, he's going to college, finishing up and there was a job fair and Boeing was there. It's just funny to think, like, he has no reference point for Seattle, but Boeing, there's a brochure with a space needle, and they need engineers because all these planes. And they're like, do you want a job in Everett? <laughs> and you just look at a brochure with space needle, you go, all right. <laughs> it's just crazy how that's how my life, that's the impetus of my life, is just my dad seeing the space needle on a brochure and needing a job, and my mom and dad going to Seattle. Oh, yeah. And that's how me and my brother just our childhood and everything, our upbringing was in Seattle. Well, it does make sense because in, in a way, right? Cause if, if you said they were in North Dakota, I know that was one of the States, like mm-hmm. there's <laughs> yeah. nothing in North Dakota. I mean, you know, no offense to all of our, our fans. That are in North sure. Dakota. What if I became this like world-class linebacker though? Just, there's nothing else to do, but just nothing. smash mouth. I mean, at least South Dakota, it's funny. So, so my brother's husband um, grew up in South Dakota and you know, you, I mean, I guess if, if you're into motorcycles, okay, that's mm-hmm. cool. Who isn't? Um, if yeah. you're into a little bit of history, right, right Mount Rushmore, but, but it, you know, at least there's, there's that. And, and I remember we talked for like a half hour and I, I don't, I literally don't think there is anything in North Dakota. <laughs> so you go from nothing to Seattle, which, you know, at the time, Emerald City, Space Needle, like you said, you get to see water, yeah. you get to see trees that are not dead. And totally, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a dream come true. And 
kind of a great spot for him to end up in. You know, there could have been worse city. I mean, yeah, it's a great city. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. And so, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that, in in your dad being an engineer. So I I didn't know your dad was an engineer, mm-hmm. but I knew you were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. We both ended up at Boeing. I I know. Well, and for you, and especially your dad too, like that was like the dream back in the day. So discuss uh, a little bit about your your career at Boeing. Like did for engineering, um, was that pushed on you by your dad? It was kind of settling. It was uh, because I knew I wanted to do entertainment very early on. You did. But it again, uh, alluding to just, you know, Afghans not having like a rich arts culture for their children. <laughs> that's something you do in middle school or elementary school. You're in the plays. You know, that's fine. Right. So long as they think it's part of you getting your education. But then once it becomes apparent that maybe you want to pursue a career in the arts of some sort or entertainment, that's when the clamps come down. Because I was trying to go to university for that type of stuff. Like I thought that would help me. So I think I wanted to, I wanted to go to theater school at first because I'm like, Oh, I like acting. I love doing all the plays and stuff. I want to go, I'm kind of going to get a degree in drama. And and my dad just shut, he shut it down very quickly. You know, (laughs) he's like, he goes, no, I'm not because he's, they're paying for college. Right. Right. And in hindsight, I'm so glad that I had immigrant parents like this who just see ones and zeros. They see the matrix, whereas I think other, maybe uh, certain families are so loving of their children, whatever you want to do. But I think immigrant families just look at the nuts and bolts. Like they came over here, they're looking at statistics. They know what the job outlook is once you graduate. Mm -hmm. So theater degrees is like burning a pile of cash pretty much to my dad. So he goes, no theater degree. So it was this compromise. I kept on trying to get a more watered down, uh, but I would think that maybe he would like this degree. So I go, okay, what about directing? What about, you know, film school? He goes like, no. Okay, what about writing? Like an English major, I can write stuff. He's like, no. So basically every degree in the arts got vetoed. And then I was... I just wanted to, I knew I wanted to do stand-up because uh, I think after I graduated senior year, I started doing, I was 18. So I started doing stand-up that summer. Um, I just kept on driving to Seattle and doing open mics. And oh, all right. I liked, so I, I knew that was sort of my path. And then I'm like, okay, my dad's not paying for any of these arts degrees. <laughs> I wanted, I want to get out in four years. I just, you know, I'm not trying to be a doctor and... Cause then you got to do residency. That's a long slog. I just know I want, I want a good job outlook in four years. What degree can do that for me? Engineering was sort of the lowest degree that he would pay, allow me to do. That was the compromise. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll be out in four years. There's plenty of jobs for engineers. Um, I'm like, what type, what type of engineer should I be? And then my best friend who lived across the street from me was doing mechanical. I'm like, oh, I'll do mechanical because I'll get to like hang out. I'll know some. I'll get. To, I'll have classes with my friend. So that's how I chose mechanical engineering. Okay. Because I knew it was just going to be in the engineering field. I go, do I do civil? Do I do aerospace? Do I do? Oh yeah. Uh, HVAC, industrial, like thermo. And then he's like, oh, I'm doing mechanical. I'm like, okay, I'll do mechanical. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it's it and it's well, number one, a couple things, because I just tried thinking of three things at once, which is is never good. Number one. Your your mom and dad's 
low bar is very mm-hmm. high. Like, very high. Yeah, but in my mind, like, uh, I'm good at math, or I can do, I have a high pain tolerance for for school and academia. I can take vibrations. I can take, the, I can learn all the things. Just, I can jump through all the hoops. I yeah. don't love it. It doesn't enrich me or whatever, but I can do it. I, I did well in school. I got the grades. Um, and I just knew it was a means to an end. Like, okay. Uh, and, and I knew that it would serve me later on. Just get through these four years. Uh, I'll have, I'll be able to live on my own because they weren't stoked about me doing stand up to begin with. It's right, not like, right. They were supporting me or emotionally or financially in this field. So I knew I would, I would be on my own. So I knew that it would be beneficial to have this engineering degree to be self-sufficient when I moved to a New York or a LA once I graduated. Sure. Uh, Cause that's where you had to go to sort of, that's where the industry is. Right. The entertainment industry is. So I got the mechanical engineering degree and I knew I would be able to support myself with it. Well, and, and so you go to Boeing and, mm-hmm. you know, you're obviously rocking and rolling, right? Because it, it, you didn't just come out of school. And you went to uh, UW, right? UW, UW. yeah. Okay. And, and and I can't remember if you knew this, but I'm a duck. So hopefully that, that doesn't oh, hurt you. That's all right. Yeah. That's okay. Bro- I think once we're out of school, we're allowed to talk to each other. <laughs> but if we were both in college, yeah. this this podcast would be over. Very oh, it would be over very quick. And it's totally true. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, it's funny. Your your brother was telling me, he's like, hey, you know, did you watch, you know, UW1? I'm like, no, I, I only watch ranked teams. And he didn't <laughs> Like he just didn't. So you know, to me, if you're if you're listening out there, that was a joke. I mean, kind of. I mean, you're not ranked, yeah. but it, it was a joke. But but neither here nor there. So you get out of UW, you're working at Boeing. Mm-hmm. So what was the moment? Because you, you you said you've always wanted to get into comedy, but what was the moment that you said, okay, I'm done. Like like Boeing's out. I'm going all in on comedy. Was there was there a plan? Did you kind of wing it? Like. Talk to me about that. I was pretty methodical about it. I think people hear my story and the Hollywood version of it is just because this is the fantasy so many people have. So many people are in jobs that they don't enjoy. Uh, They look at the clock every day. And I think they hear my story and they think I was working at Boeing. And one day I was like, I'm done with this. This isn't what I like. I break my pencil and I'm out of here. And then I just like hit the I go to the comedy store and, and like kill that night and a star is born they they think that career happens in a week or something that's the fantasy version of it but i was plotting the whole time i knew okay i had to go to college my parents were going to pay for an engineering degree okay so that means i'm doing stand-up in la or uh in seattle for four years i'm getting good in in seattle i'm getting a nice comedic foundation while i am appeasing my parents and also setting myself up for it's nice to have a tangible degree while you chase this other thing because this is so flimsy. I knew very well. Some people are so delusional or maybe it's utter confidence, like I'm going to make it no matter what. I think I had the potential to do that, but I wanted to at least have a safety net of if it doesn't, I'm not eating out of a dumpster. <laughs> like why sacrifice? If you have the aptitude, I'm, I'm able to get an engineering degree, so why not – uh, do that while I pursue this other thing so that if it doesn't pan out, not like I'm not trying really hard at this entertainment right. thing, but <clears throat> your life's not that bad. If it doesn't work out, I'm not, you know, 
working at Chili's for 30 years. Like, I'm not, not to slam. I don't know if you have big Chili servers. We, we have a niche of employees that no. work at Chili's. So, you know. What if, it's, what if it's like an Applebee's employee? It's like, glad it's not me. I've been working at Applebee's for 30 years. Oh, <laughs> well, that would have been embarrassing. Yeah. Be working Oof, at... We're good. We, we, we made it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, right? well, my shift's back on. I got to stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> So, yeah, that was the kind of, okay, so I planned it that way where let me get the solid degree while I pursue this engineering. I'm waiting in the wings in Seattle until I'm able to move to L.A. So I'm getting good. And then I graduate and then, uh, okay, I'm like, I got to go to New York or L.A. to do the next step of this. Uh, you didn't think maybe Chicago too? Or is it really just L.A. and New York? Chicago is a great comedy city, but it's a stepping stone city. Oh, um, okay. Even people from Chicago eventually go to New York right. or people from Boston eventually go to New York or San Francisco, they go to L.A. So these are great scenes. They're bigger than Seattle, but it'd be kind of a stutter step. I needed you, the big leagues. The big leagues is L.A. and New York. Yeah, yeah. So my parents are in Seattle. All I've known is West Coast. It's a short plane ride home. There's 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 um, TV, film. It's more than stand-up out here. New York is just more... Stand. There's not a lot of film and TV opportunity out there, too. And I wanted to be able to do it all, like stand-up, TV, um, film. So just L.A. Yeah. seemed like the logical uh, place to be. So I just applied to a bunch of jobs once I got my degree in SoCal. I was just trying to get as close to Hollywood as I could with applying. And I was on Google Maps because I didn't know the landscape. Right. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm like 20 or 21 when I'm, I'm looking on Google Maps. And I applied to this... It's called RSI. They're a cabinet manufacturer, and they're in Anaheim. I thought, like, oh, Anaheim's close enough to <laughs> West Hollywood. If I got that job, I don't know if I would even be where I like. I got so far, I would have been in traffic one day and just be like, I'm not doing comedy. Oh yeah, you'd still be there. We wouldn't even be. We wouldn't have yeah. you on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, but I would be such a good cabinet maker. So <laughs> that, and then I'm trying to think. Oh, my dad. He he worked at Boeing, right? right? And he just had this, uh, Boeing has this directory of all the managers or anybody, it's sort of like a phone book or a Rolodex, a database of people who work at different uh, Boeings. And he got some managers from the Long Beach Boeing. He goes, why don't you email them? And I, I, sometimes you think, y'all, your parents are old school. They think the world works like it's the 50s. Like, that's not how it works. I have to put my resume on Monster. <laughs> I'm thinking like that. I think that's how the world works. But my, there is truth to what my dad is saying. There is something about that human personal reaching out. If I uploaded a monster, then you're just, uh, they get so many, you don't stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, but an email and a personal touch go so far. That's how everything gets done. Oh, yeah. But you're naive when you're younger. Mm-hmm. You think like, no, you upload your resume to monster and you fill out all the fields and they, they'll know that I'm great. <laughs> No, you just run together with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. They just see a wall of text. You don't stand no. out. Well, and also I'm just laughing at monster. Cause like, especially to like our younger listeners are gonna be like, what the heck is this? What is monster? Yeah. They go, the energy drink, they had a job site. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's funny. Cause I mean, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm only 31. Right. I had my first, my, my first like, oh, I'm turning the corner moment. Cause I was talking to one of my client's kids about Nelly, the rapper. Like with the band-aid. Oh my God. And I remember he looks at me and I think he's in like, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade. 
And he goes, well, what happened to him? I'm like, what do you mean? What? Like, that was just his thing. He's like, who are you talking about? And, and literally my world just went, Vroomp. like, this is, this is not good. Like, this is what it feels like to turn that. Yeah. You had a crisis. Yeah. I had that one time where I'm, I think I'm doing a college gig one time and I had this save by the bell joke and they were just like staring at me and I'm having an existential crisis on stage where I'm just realizing this huge auditorium of people and humans don't know Saved by the Bell and I'm having to reconcile that. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So, and I don't... Because that was such a fabric of my life. Well, and, and I don't <laughs> I don't want to get too off topic on that. No, but when you're on stage, I'm, I'm just super curious and you have that moment where, and it's happening so fast. I mean, you're making it sound like it's uh-huh. slow, but it's it's seconds and you go, oh my gosh, the entire crowd does not know anything that's coming out of my mouth like do you just like how do you figure that out do you just pivot or do you just go you know what i'm i'm just gonna commit and hopefully they pick up Uh, it's one of those things where uh you feel it way more than the audience does like even if you're trying to find your place maybe you forget for a second like what joke's next or something that's happening it may feel like 30 minutes to you an eternity but in the audience, it was probably like three seconds, and they don't even pick up on that. Just you're moving so much fa- Your mind is moving so much faster okay. than the show being presented that I can have that little crisis, but it doesn't really read. You know, I can, I've been doing it long enough where I can just segue quickly into a different bit. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the art, just not melting down when something goes right. wrong. Right. Right. You're able to handle the situation. Okay, no, that, that's uh, totally... Yeah, so I applied to Boeing. I got the... And then I got some interview from uh, the managers there. So I was able to do a phone interview from Seattle, and they, they asked me some questions, and and then they sent me a job offer, and that was kind of my ticket to SoCal. So then I lived in Long Beach. Okay, and when you were down there, do you remember the day... So you're down in Long Beach, and, and you go, all right. I am Fahim Anwar. I am done with Boeing. I'm done with engineering. I am out. Yeah. What was that day like? Okay, so again, it goes back to the calculating. So I knew, all right, I'm here now. So while I'm working at Boeing, I would work by day, and then I would drive up to Hollywood and do open mics and just grind. So I would work by day, do my passion at night. That was the beauty of stand-up, is that it was a night thing. So it didn't conflict with work, because I would... I would get done at 4.40 or 5, and then shows are at 8 or 10. So I would just do that. I would grind for a long time. And I just knew I wanted to get to the point. My dream scenario was I keep doing this until it became very apparent that my job was holding me back from the opportunities of the thing that I really wanted to pursue. So I wanted to reach that crossroads. I didn't want to jump ship before I had to. Some people jump ship prematurely. Uh, maybe it works out for them. Maybe they need that no net to kick it into the next gear. But I like, yeah, I like being able to have options. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't like the jump before there's something there. So, so how long so, did it take for you to get to that jumping point from Long Beach to? Three and a half years. So three and a half years of driving up to Hollywood, doing shows, kind of becoming a little more known in the scene, getting some representation on the entertainment side, like having a manager, having an agent, 
towards the end, starting to get some auditions, auditioning for stuff. So taking long lunch breaks to go audition for something and then come back. Um, yeah, and then, okay, so what happened for the actual leaving of the job yeah. was I had a few things lined up that made me examine uh, the job and do I leave at this point sure. or not. So I had just booked this big guest star on the show, Chuck. Uh, it was on NBC. Uh, so I was shot that for like a week in Burbank. So that was like a nice substantial validation thing. Like, oh, cool. Okay, I, I acted in this thing. And then I had gotten really far in this NBC stand-up for diversity initiative they had. They do this thing every year where um, they have like stand-ups who are diverse. It's part of their initiative. And I got really far. I think I got like second in it. Sorry if you hear the leaf blow, right? No, it's, that's that's <laughs> that's totally yeah, yeah, yeah. totally okay. Hey, that's LA, you know. There's a lot of leaves. There's a lot of leaf well, blowers. Well, the out last here. person that's we we had we had to actually re-record because we had our you know people come over and mow the lawn, and it's right next to the office, and it sounded <laughs> like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, it was brutal. So yeah. you know what? Anyone listening, just deal with it. Sure. Just know I feel bad. He about does. It if, if yes, that's picked up. Yeah, yeah really. He's bad. crying. Um, <laughs> the stand-up diversity I got far in that so as part of that you got college gigs too so I had a few college gigs and those paid pretty well okay. so I had a few colleges lined up I had just done that uh, guest star on Chuck and then I was I got cast on this MTV show called Disaster Date so they wanted me to do it they wanted me to be a cast member um, <laughs> I mean it's like this guy's coming into my house <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> So they wanted me to be a cast member, and they needed me for three months. And I was still trying to half-step it. I, I, I called work, or I, I sent an email. I go, can I um, take a leave of absence? Because I planned on coming sure. back. So I go, I have this thing. Uh, can I come back after three months? And they were like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so the compromise, they weren't, they weren't compromising with me on it. And I just knew. I go, okay, well, I, this is too big of an opportunity doing this MTV show. Sure. This is the point where I jump. Uh, so that's that's why I left. So when you jumped, that segues into something I've been I've been excited to ask you for a while. What was your strategy or did you have a strategy once you jumped? Like, hey, I'm going to get on X many shows, I'm going to write this many scripts. Like, what did that look like? It just seemed like enough of a footing to to leave the shore. So financially, that was I had that covered with the college gigs, and then the MTV show that was decent money. I mean, in hindsight, not really because like it's MTV; they don't pay as well as a network or something. But when you're in your twenties, and it's an MTV show, MTV was bigger than it is now. Like, uh, yeah, those two things: the financial basis covered with the college gigs, and then the MTV cast member thing for three months, and then just booking the Chuck thing, those were enough positive signals for me where it felt like, okay, this, this could snowball or these are enough things. Like One might be a fluke, but these three things felt like, okay, there's something happening here in the, on the entertainment side of it. Uh, uh, I think I can just do this full time. That's so interesting too, how, I don't, don't want to no, I'm going to say it, like strategically calculated you were in your steps to becoming not only just successful overall, but financially not becoming destitute because you hear about this a lot where it's not just comedy, but a lot of, um, 
a lot of entertainers are not calculated with their money at all. I mean, Norm MacDonald, who, you know, God rest his soul, mm. uh, he was notoriously terrible, from what I heard, with his, with his yeah. money. And then it started coming out where that was pretty common in the comedic field. So, I mean, you're one of a kind in that regard, or at least one of few. I guess for me, it's peace of mind. Uh, and even when I jumped ship from Boeing, I kept my expenses really low because when you keep your expenses super low, you have power, you have leverage, you have the opportunity to do things the way you want to. I don't have to take some gig in in Riverside or like Bakersfield for $200. And, and then the type of art and comedy that you're doing out there is is going to be just serving that room at that. You're not... You're not, it's not elevated. You're almost like babysitting. Like if you're doing a bad bar show and you're getting good at, at, at bad bar shows, you're picking up bad traits, bad. I mean, they're good for that situation, but like Steve Martin doesn't become Steve Martin by doing bad biker bar shows in Riverside or something. It's a different thing. It's a different muscle. And that's not the type of comedy I wanted to do. So I was able to stay local because I had money, I kept my. I was I was staying in the studio apartment in Koreatown for a long time when I moved from. It was like really tiny, but it was fine. I, I didn't need much more. My biggest expenses were probably meals. I could have cooked more, but I didn't buy super nice things. And um, yeah, I didn't need a lot. Yeah. I'm not a materialistic guy. I like I like money uh, to create opportunities. When you buy things, those are anchors. Right. This is a macro level thing. So, I mean, this has happened recently, but it was really eye-opening. The pandemic happened, you know, and there was no stand-up going on in LA. And I love stand-up and I love flexing that muscle and I didn't do it for a while. And then Austin was open. Austin was open. I saw some of my friends were out there and they were doing stand-up. And I had this Zoom writing job where I'm writing for the CBS show. But I'm like, it's on Zoom. I can be anywhere. And I had money because I'm smart with it and also the writing job provided some money. But like the main takeaway is money provided me an opportunity to rent a place in Austin during the pandemic Mm -hmm. until L.A. got its stuff together and figured it out and things open. But I was able to rent a place in Austin and do stand up out there after my Zoom writing job in the daytime. But because I had money, I was able to go out there. I was able to do I've done Rogan before, but I'm out there. I get to do Rogan again. I I do a show with Rogan and Chappelle just it created these opportunities where if I had a car I can't afford or a house or apartment I can't afford, then I don't have the money to go to Austin and, you oh, know. I, I do know. I totally get it, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I mean. So money for opportunity is my big mantra. Just money for things. Maybe do it when you're so far gone it doesn't make a dent. But Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, obviously this is a financial podcast, right? And so when we have listeners uh, – emailing or, or calling or pinging me on LinkedIn, right? It basically, you just summed up compounding in all aspects mm. of your life though, right? Like it can go great and it can just absolutely dive. And, and speaking of diving, because right now you've painted this really rosy picture and I know there've been bumps in the road because there is not a single person I've met that has any degree of success that's just like, you know what? I woke up. And, like Ricky Bobby, right? Like, and I just, uh-huh. I just beat excellence. <laughs> yeah. I was fantastic. Yeah. So can you remember a, a moment where you were 
maybe not necessarily rock bottom, but pretty doggone close. Like, what was the toughest situation you got yourself into, and how did you get out of it? I don't know if it's like a specific rock bottom, but there is an era, there is a period where, you know, I left Boeing, and I had those things, those were good, and I had a few TV things after that, but... I hadn't swam far enough away from engineering and Boeing for it to be completely in the rear view. And so when, when things, this is very cyclical. The profession I'm in is very cyclical. And when you're in, an, in a valley and you just left something as secure as Boeing and engineering, you're thinking about, did I make a mistake? Should I go back? What if it doesn't come up? And uh, there is, you don't know. You don't know. Look, I have clarity now that I'm this far away from it. But in the moment, you'd, you're like, did I make a mistake? Should I go back? I don't know. Uh, but then I would talk to Bobby Lee. You know, we would grab dinner and stuff. Sure. Just He's a comedy store guy. And having mentors and having people who have been through it before and have seen the landscape, I'm just seeing a bunch of trees, but he's like in a helicopter. He can see the whole thing. And he would just assure me, be like, you're fine. I'm telling you, you're fine. Because he'd see me do stand-up. He... He knows the landscape of Hollywood and all that. So that was reassuring, just someone who's been through it before and can see the landscape of comedy and the way things go. That, and then also I would do this, I would do inventory with myself every year. I'd be, I would say, am I further along this year than I would, is it, is it charting on an upward trend? It doesn't have to be crazy, but am I better off this year than I was the year prior? And, and the answer was yes. Uh, there's variations, but if I'm regressing, then that's the time to say, okay, maybe pivot, maybe do something else. And that's not, people look at that as failure or something, but it's, it's not. I think having a happy life is just pivoting, just continual pivoting until you get to, you settle in on a place that, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, I didn't mean to laugh. I just pictured Bobby Lee just yelling down from you in a helicopter, like, <laughs> you're good! Right? Well, there's the, yeah, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. fine. So, uh, a couple things. Number one, because, you know, all in all, I, I think you're being very modest on, because everyone has hit rock bottom, but how you've handled it, mm-hmm. whatever that's been, has been beautiful. And I, I can tell you, you know, I we've, been fortunate to interview a number of very successful people in the finance world and they'll never go on and talk about any of this on the show but then once the mic turns off and we talk about half hour, <laughs> yeah. it's like oh my gosh like i wish more people would share how tough it is because especially for our younger listeners they think that oh my gosh i'm gonna wake up and i'm gonna blink and i'm gonna be the next fahim or i'm gonna be the next rogan or you know logan pa- i'm just thinking of all popular online and you've been doing this for like almost two decades and um and you've kept this level head on your shoulders that i i i hope people both in and outside of your industry take note of because that's very very rare um but i i did want to ask on the switching gears a little bit more specifically on the finance side just because this is a financial pod yeah so you you've grown and you got to that point where mm-hmm. you went from okay, I'm not eating out of a honey bucket. Uh, now I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm able to to make it. And if I just put this gear in neutral, I'm okay. And then you get to to that that next level. And you know what I mean by that next level, where it's like okay, this is this is starting to get serious. And 
you know, you've been pretty well respected and continue to be respected by the likes of Rogan, Burr, you mentioned Bobby Lee, Chappelle. So with that comes responsibility. So when you started turning that corner, what did you make sure you did so you didn't go backwards? Hmm. I guess there's two there's two levels just when you talk about finances and entertainment. I think that those Koreatown days where I'm keeping my expenses really low and uh that's like surviving. It's sure. not it's not like I'm living sandwich to sandwich, but I'm definitely just you're sort of dipping your toe, you're seeing you're not getting crazy. Right. And that's part of like the rock bottom. Keeping your finances, um, your expenses super low protects you so that when you're in a valley it's not this crisis because you you have money saved. You're not crazy. Sure. Um, so there's a difference between there's this moment in your career where you're just surviving and kind of keeping your head above water, um, and then there's thriving. And I think I've in the last couple of years I'm in a thriving stage where now it's comparable to someone who's been doing engineering for a long time or the ceiling is higher, uh, which is great. But you don't know if you're going to hit that in that surviving stage. So it's kind of cool. You have a little rocket fuel in the career now, and you've built all this equity sure. from those struggling years. You know? I totally know. Well, are you um, are you familiar with the J curve? Uh, not, maybe a little bit. I refresh my yeah. memory. Yeah. So so you are a walking, living, breathing version of the J curve. I'd like to think I am too, right? So <clears throat> for those of you that are that are listening to the podcast, you can't see this, but most people, if you start your career, there's two people. One of them just goes that engineering route or the steady job. I don't want to knock any engineers out here, right? They're just, right. I, I hear the, the, the crying of all the engineers at Boeing up north, right? <laughs> but you just yeah. slowly start growing and it's a pretty easy, steady life, right? Well, J-Curve, you start reinvesting in yourself. And so that, that net worth decreases slightly. Because you are having to go yeah. backwards a little bit, right? Because you don't have that to fall yeah. back on. But eventually, the J turns up, and you're on that that path where you broke right, it. yeah, yeah, totally. And and I, I I wish that was something that helped me a ton when I first started because mm. it was miserable starting in in this in this business, very similar to yours. And once I understood the J curve, and when you said three and a half years. It takes about three years. There's the rule of three. Year one, you become known. Year two, you become trusted. Our industry, year three, referrals start to come in. Mm -hmm. Year four, it's game over. It's probably the same thing for you. Year one, everyone's like, who is this Fahim Anwar guy? And I can't even pronounce mm -hmm. his name. Not that anyone yeah. can pronounce mine either. So yeah. we've got that going for us. Number two, oh, he's still on stage. Everyone trusts this guy. But I don't know if he's really inked it yet. Year three, oh, did you hear Fahim Hamar's in town? And then year four, the J-curve takes an effect. That's crazy. Also, the more time you spend in an industry or a scene, there's equity in that. Regardless of what you do, even if you're terrible, if you're like middling, if you have been doing stand-up for 20, 30 years, there's just, there's power in that. Yeah. Uh, being a common, a common face, a common, you're part of the scene, you're respected. Um yeah, it's definitely a J curve. It just it takes time, and also what's crazy about the tra trajectory too. Sometimes what you think are failures are actually strengths later on in your career. In when I came down to LA, you do stand up, but then your agents and stuff send you on all these 
acting auditions too because they they hope you hit as an actor and you're a series regular on some CW show or whatever because that's a lot of money for the agency and they want you to hit as an actor in your 20s because that's just like money here and now for them. Right. But like I never got a big enough, I'll get little things here and there, but I never got a substantial acting thing that took me away from stand-up for long enough. So I would just go to the, I would just do stand-up. That was my thing in between Hollywood stuff. I never did Hollywood stuff long enough to take me away from stand-up. So I was in the clubs refining, just getting good. So me not getting these acting roles or these auditions not doing well in them, uh, it just made me do stand-up sure. more and more stand-up. And then you flash forward to now, I'm a good, great stand-up, and that gives me leverage. Yeah. So so I have power. I could take auditions now that I want because I have money, uh, I have a craft. Uh, I'm not reliant on someone else to tell me I'm, I'm good enough to do the thing. I can do a weekend in a city. I can, if you can entertain a room full of people for X number of minutes... That's that's a trade. Sure. Well, and, and for you, so when you got to that point, well, there's a couple things before I ask. Number one, what a blessing in hindsight looking back that you didn't fall for the bait of the distraction of the acting role and just kept to your really concentrated niche, which was stand-up. Because, yes. you know, that, that J-curve, right? That made the J-curve for mm-hmm. you basically just perpendicular to the ground right um but then yeah. i guess my question is once you got to that status where financially you're like okay this is like the next this is the next level who did you turn to for for advice or did you just kind of figure it out uh i mean you have a manager and you'll kind of like someone you trust and you'll talk about career bird's eye um view just like what you want what you want to do and then that kind of helps consolidate um, like what your core competencies are, what you want to do. And usually when you lean into what you do best, that's where the most money is generated from. Right. And, and it's, uh, yeah, like I'm trying to do this higher level thinking about my career now where I just want to boil it down to simple terms. So I'm like, okay, what am I best at? I think ideas. As dumb as that sounds, my strength is I- ideas, whether... Some people might be performing, like they're they're a vessel, they're a great actor, they disappear. Like Daniel Day-Lewis is, he's a performer, he's a vessel. I am an idea machine. That's kind of my, the top of the food chain. So I'm doing this thought exercise where how do you, mon- what are the different ways to monetize idea an idea factory? So there's stand-up, that's an arm of it. Uh, there's writing TV, writing for TV, that's an arm of it. Writing film, that's an arm of it. Maybe writing commercials. Uh, there's consulting. So that's kind of a fun exercise for art and business. Just what do you do best and what are ways to monetize that greatest skill? So if, if, if an acting thing comes along right. for a series regular on a show that I'm not super passionate about, that's kind of, it's not, the, the gears aren't meshing as well. And you're spending a lot of time away from your core competency. Yeah. No, this, I am like, I'm speechless because... <laughs> Frankly, from from an entertainment standpoint, um, it's so awesome to hear how you didn't fall into the trap of being lured to the extravagancies of fame, because then you're just mm. swimming in this nothingness, right? Like, yeah, it's part of the game, 
you know, like, mm-hmm. um, in theory, the more likes you get or the more clicks or the more subscribe or whatever, yeah, that's going to add value to you, but only to like a certain point. And also I think looking back on it, you and I were fortunate enough where, you know, cause I mean, you're a couple years older than me, but it's not that, that much older than me where we were growing up and social media was here, but it wasn't like it is now where I couldn't imagine trying to do all of this at 18 when I started in, in my business and you've got all of these distractions. I mean, pick your poison, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, any, any social media. So for you to keep on that, that, that narrow path, uh, that speaks volumes, dude. Really? It I really guess like, they could be distractions, but also nowadays those are tools for the profession as well. Like a lot of people are coming to my shows and discovering me via Instagram or TikTok sure. or sure. Facebook or, or like, um, yeah, yeah. All, all those properties or all those like social media things are actually tools. But there is, there is the um, pitfall of just not just posting and dwelling on it and just scrolling and getting lost and just comparing yourself. So you have to be able to use it as a tool for exposure and then put the phone away and not get lost in it because that'll be counterproductive. Yeah. Well, and and, and for you, having more experience, because let's face it, like social media, it was a thing when we were getting out of school, but it wasn't at this point. You know, that's why you see a lot of these, um, especially more seasoned which is a politically correct term for older uh, entertainers mm-hmm. and people that use social media, they can use it, but then they also know the limits and when to separate it versus, you know, if you look at a, a family of four at a dinner table and the kids are just locked in, they are not looking up from that phone, right? Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's, there, there's a huge difference. So I do have to ask, and we love asking mm-hmm. uh, our, our guests this. So for you, what, how, how did you initially capitalize your finances to the fullest? So elaborate, what do you mean? Yeah. So, you know, and, and on our show, it's one thing to just understand your, your, your financial situation, but it's a whole nother thing to capitalize your finances because being a capitalizer, what our fans do is we don't just basically understand things. We want to be so dominant in understanding every nook and cranny of our situation where, like you said, you know, you've got that. It's almost that, not cockiness, but uh, it's it's the black and white logical confidence that you know, I am not going to fail financially and I set myself up. So it's basically like, what did you do to set yourself up financially, but times it by 10 because you you couldn't just do average things sure i think i got an idea so i never split hairs over money like how much this thing costs or like get into the weeds like that or like check the stocks every day and some people just treat money like a game and they're just so focused on money i have an overall vibe and feeling about it that's why i keep i don't want to spend my time in the minutia of money like how much things cost like that I want to think more big picture. So that's why I just generally kept my expenses very yeah. low so that it takes the guesswork out. I don't have to focus on that stuff. So keep keep it low. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of helped with it. And then also just, 
I know I'm, I have an aptitude for comedy and these things. Just keep doing that. And I, I want my focus to be on the things that I care about. Right. So, and then again, looking every year, am I on an upward trajectory and all that? Sure. Um, sure. And then as I make more money, do the smart things. Okay, put as much as you can into, or like be, become an S-corp. Like I finally made enough money where, okay, it makes sense to be an S-corp, right? Yeah, yeah. so do that. Pay yourself. Um, just being aware of that type of stuff. And then what's great about once you're an S-corp, money I'm spending that I would have spent on myself anyways for the business, I am able to do before W-2 taxes are taken out because it's going towards the business. So then you're, you're on top of that J-curve. Now you're, you're, you're cooking with grease. Yes. Um, yeah, so just kind of leaning into your core competencies just and keeping your expenses low. That, that, that was kind of my guiding light at the, at the beginning. Just, just focus, eye on the prize, reinvest in the business, and then do the smart things once you, start to actually, once you start to actually make money. Then consult people who have been in that space before. Like, okay, how do I keep most of this money? What do rich people do? How do you not get taxed like crazy? Not illegal stuff, but <laughs> I, am, I am a corporation now. So I get to, if I pay an editor or... Like when I make a special to, to pay someone to do sound, I pay them through the business and that, that is way more beneficial than when you're a W-2 person doing the arts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. for those listening, uh, you need to re-listen to that segment about 15 times because there is a ton of value in there. I mean, for those that are listening that can't see me, I was goober smiling the entire time was doing <laughs> yeah. that. Like. It's crazy. You don't realize this. No one, there's no education. There's no formal education about this stuff when you're coming through school. And it's, and it's so important. Like when I have kids, I think the biggest lesson that people don't know or my advice to them, I would say, whatever your passion is, uh, work towards that, but make a company about that passion. If you're into DJing, whatever it is, if you're into fishing, that's great. Pursue it. But make a company about it, right? Because that just gives you it gives you all this wiggle room, and and it's um, it's a catalyst for for the business. Oh yeah. Well, and then you're playing from behind when you're W two. You're just playing from behind your whole life. Absolutely. Could have made a couple comments, but I didn't because this is a friendly show. So yeah, I yeah. Uh, you know, but in all seriousness, that that is so true, and and also, isn't that kind of the dream, right? Like you get paid to do what you love every day. And it sounds like disgustingly cliche, but Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not saying you're going to love every second of it. I mean, there are moments that suck, but all in all, you know, you wake up and you're like, gosh, I get to go right for you perform on stage Mm -hmm. in whatever city. And you're probably pinching yourself at times where it's like, I just had dinner with pick your poison. You know what I mean? And I got paid for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's scary for a lot of people. That's what keeps them from doing it. Because look, this is 20 years later from from the decision to hatch this this plan. And it's a long slog and it's driving. So it's a lot of work and you don't know if it's going to pan out or not. But if you... It is possible. And as long as you chart your progress year by year you can see if you're on the right path or not and if you're not then you're not and that's fine there's nothing wrong with it oh yeah and and even if you do fail um hold your head up high because there are a lot of people that just they don't take that that plunge and 
you know, for you, and speaking of looking back on on your your time, and you're just getting started in a lot of ways, which is crazy to probably hear that because you're like, dude, like I've been at this for a while. But if that is the weird thing about stand up is that uh, you'll be 38 and they're like this young new comedian. You know, it's just such a long game. There's hardly anybody who does it for three or five years or even like less than eight years. That is just as huge. It's it just it just takes so many um, steps. Oh, to get to a certain level. Yeah, and that's that's with everything, but especially I mean, because I was joking with my buddies that yeah, I mean, I get to and they were stoked. They're like, you get to interview Fahim Anwar. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> great, right? And because like. One of my buddies said, how, how many people can say they're a successful comedian? Like 10? And I'm like, obviously, there's more than that. But, you know, sure. when you when you whittle it down for the majority of people, you know, it's it, it's it's few and far between. So if, if you could go back and mm-hmm. change any aspect of your financial decisions that you made, what would you have done differently? Um, what would I have? I probably would have tried to buy a house sooner okay. just so that I'm not forking over rent. Just house seems so scary because it's so much money. Just get into the game as soon as you can. Sure. Even if you're stretched a little bit, just get get a house if you can as soon as you can because then uh, it's it's nice. I feel good just paying the mortgage and it doesn't feel like I'm burning money. And you blink and the house is appreciated you're doing nothing in that and your your financial situation is shifting just year by year it's great it just keeps on increasing so that i would have got a house a little sooner um what else would i have done maybe incorporated sooner i wish i would have done that like learned that lesson um and then maybe i would have a lot of money in savings when i was younger i would just put so much money in savings and, and it's doing nothing sure cuz in my mid to late 20s even early 30s i didn't I would just sit just like a, a large sum of money in your savings, yeah. but but it's not doing it. And so specifically for for comedians that choose to listen and to capitalize your finances and want to become successful, what would you say are the best steps to take to do so? Uh, the thing is, no one. Okay, this is like a nice lesson from someone who's been through all of it and. I think when you're starting out, you th- you think like, ah, oh, people will recognize how good I am, and you think people will give you breaks or people will see you making it, whatever you want to call that, is getting enough people to see you the way you see yourself or know yourself. But it's so hard to do. No one is going to see you the way you do because you are inside your own skin and you know that. But nobody wants you to happen. Any your favorite celebrity. Like your favorite musician, your favorite actor, your favorite comedian. No one wanted them to be that at the beginning. People, there. I saw a clip on IG Reels where like people were telling Jay-Z he's terrible. Watch the Kanye documentary, the, uh, the trilogy or whatever. People were telling him he's terrible every step of the way. I know he's got his baggage and what's going on now, but just musically, right. people were saying Kanye's garbage. So the greatest entertainers ever... No one wants that to happen. And the same is true of, of you or me or anybody getting into the arts. That's just part of it. No one is going to say you're the guy. That never happens. So don't expect someone to do that. Like You're going to do everything. Rely on yourself. Create content. Don't wait for other people to give you the opportunity. Create your own opportunities. 
Like, yeah, go on auditions, and if, if you get the winning lotto ticket, that's fantastic. Uh, but don't count on it. Like, in between all that stuff, make shorts, uh, do stand-up, do things that can move the ball forward on your own, where you don't need anybody else, you don't need anyone else's permission to do what you already know you have inside you. There are way more people who want to be vessels than generators. That's why generators get paid the most money in, in Hollywood, like a J.J. Abrams or a Shonda Rhimes or a Larry David. These people create. But there's a million people who get off the bus in Hollywood with their suitcases like, put me in the talkies. There's way more of those than the people who do the work and generate the content. So I would say be a generator. If you want to hedge your bets, be a generator, be undeniable, be the person who creates, not the person who's waiting for uh, the printer to tell them what to say. Well, I mean, I'm knocking actors or whatever. It's, that's a different route. It's a much harder route in my mind. But even if you're an actor, put on workshops, work with other, there are things you can do on your own rather than just waiting for people to tap you. That is awesome. That is fan-freaking-tastic. <laughs> Dude, Fahim, it has been fantastic having you on. Before we close this out, where can capitalizers go to find you? Uh, let's see. I'm performing a lot, so stand-up. I'm on a tour right now. I'm going to be in San Antonio in two weeks, I think, and then... La Jolla. On my website is my tour dates. So just fahimanwar.com for tour dates. I'll be going around the U.S. And then in L.A., I'm at the Comedy Store all the time. That's my home club. And then digitally, I'm on Fahim Anwar on Instagram. And then Fahim Anwar Comedy on TikTok. And then my YouTube channel is just Fahim Anwar. <laughs> yeah. So those are some good places to check Fantastic. out. Fantastic. Well, and then the last question I have to ask is, when are you coming up and performing in, in the hometown in, in Tacoma? And I know. Seattle. I know. I got to get that on the books. So that's, I'm telling my people that's, that's one I want to, I mean, I always try to come down there, see the family, do some shows. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, next time you're up here, shoot me a text and, uh, and then you can come down to the Capwise headquarters and, uh, and then I can come to your show. All right. Yeah, man. Totally. Fantastic. And for those of you tuning in that are still tuning in, thank you as always for listening in to Capitalize Your Finances. If you have any questions about today's episode or... If you have any people in mind that you'd like to have me interview on how they have successfully capitalized their finances to the fullest, you can either shoot me an email, chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com, or give us a call at 253-214-3050. That is 253-214-3050, and I would be more than happy to take your call. As always, I'm your host, Chris Ray Ponio to the Captain Capitalize. Until next time, keep capitalizing. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. No client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Capitalizer Finances or from any other investment professional. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Fahim Anwar is not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.